This summer we've been working our way through uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and so we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us his thoughts on a lot of different things, uh, and he is very, very, very careful in each of the items that he covers in the Sermon on the Mount to be sure to teach us on these topics in such a way as to make us extraordinarily uncomfortable. And this morning is no exception. I always say this, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, don't shake your head and slam it closed at least once. You're not reading it right. He really is saying some of the things he's saying in there, all the things he's saying in there. So today we're going to talk about the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 24, regarding treasure. There's my extraordinarily creative title, focus group tested, put together by an advertising agency. The title is Regarding Treasure. Verse 19 and 20, I'm going to read it again. Regarding treasure, Jesus tells us this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Regarding treasure, Jesus says this. Seek the best treasure. Very, this is not complicated. We are not going to be doing any rocket science this morning. Regarding treasure, verses 19 through 20, Jesus says, seek the best treasure. That's what he's telling us in these verses. If you went to a financial advisor and wanted to plan for your retirement, or if you're already retired and you imagine that you would have, and the financial advisor, you tell them, well, this is what I need to accomplish in my retirement. Here's how much I think I need to have squirreled away, earning a particular rate of return. He's going to pull out his retirement calculator He's going to type a bunch of numbers into it, and he's going to tell you what you need to do is you need to set aside 5% of your monthly income to save for retirement to achieve your goals, or something like that. Maybe he'll give you a number. Yeah, but set aside this. If you want to have that much when you retire, assuming you retire when you're 95, you need to, or 65, whatever it is for you, you might set aside 5% of your income. Now, he tells you that, and it's always more than you want to set aside, because what we always want to do is have more at the end than we save in the beginning. That's normal. But it would be very strange for you when that retirement advisor tells you, please, what you need to do is set aside 5% of your income in order to achieve your goals. If you said to him, listen, buddy, what I wanted to do, you didn't seem to understand me. I want to keep all of my money and have retirement. How is this hard for you to understand? What would he say to you? I have other clients. There's another advisor right down the road. It's one of his competitors. He's, please go visit him and waste his time. You can't have in retirement if you spend it today. This is not, and Jesus is not, again, this isn't rocket science. Seek the best treasure. He's saying, instead of pursuing the treasure today, seek a better treasure, one that will last forever. And he makes a very simple comparison between the treasures of earth and the treasures of heaven. It's not uh, a difficult to understand. Treasures on earth, he describes it this way, moths get them, rust destroy them, thieves break in and steal them. Everything you own here tends to wear out. How do we know that's true? Because car dealerships are still open. Has anybody figured out, wait, if, you're, if your product lasts a long time, why do you have to continue selling cars? Well, because all cars wear out. Every Christmas gift, 
wears out. Every trinket we buy, and, and some of them are important and significant, at some point, the luster wears off. They begin to fail. Everybody agrees with this. If you buy almost anything today, the first thing you're offered upon buying an item is what? Would you like to pay for the extended warranty plan? And you say, no, I would like you to make a product that won't break. That's what I would like. I'm sorry. I'm letting some of my pet peeves. I got in kind of late last night. I got to... All right. Everything breaks. Everything gets stolen. This is, this is normal. Everything wears out over time. And Jesus says treasure in heaven is fundamentally different. In heaven, no matter how much you spend, you still have it. In heaven, treasure never wears out. And regardless of whether the actual treasure itself is the same, doesn't matter. A pile of dryer lint in heaven is better than the best treasure on earth because it will never go away. That's a bad example, but that's the, his point is that never, nothing in heaven will go away. When we arrive in heaven and we receive our inheritance from Christ, 10,000 years later, we will still have it. And in fact, not only will we still have it, it will still be just as interesting and captivating to us because the primary inheritance we have is Christ himself. So Jesus is here saying, be a smart investor, invest in that which has a guaranteed rate of return and will never lose value. Invest in treasure in heaven. Look again at verse 18. We talked about it a week or two ago. Jesus says this, talking about fasting. When you fast, fast so that you're not seen by others, but rather so you are seen by the Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. So in the preceding section, Jesus had talked about giving money to the poor, he had talked about praying, and he had talked about fasting. And he said, here, you have two reward you can get. You can either be rewarded by being recognized by others, praying and fasting and being generous so other people give me recognition, or I can pray and give and fast in order to be recognized by God, and He will reward with a reward that will never go away. How long does it take to pray for somebody in the church or in your community? If you do it the way Jesus said, a very brief period of time. Keep it straightforward. Don't pile up a bunch of words. Lord, pray for that family in Reading. Do whatever you're going to do. I don't get it. Having done so, as an attitude of worship of God, we then receive reward which lasts how long? Not as long as our prayer. It lasts forever. And Jesus is simply saying, have the rhythm and, and movement of your life designed to seek to be rewarded by God for having our life uh, to be done His way and for His purposes to be recognized by God and not by others. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Galatians, excuse me, chapter 1. Of verse 10. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it. Paul says this, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So what Jesus is telling us over in Matthew chapter 6, to receive treasure, the best treasure, is to live our lives in a manner that seeks to be a servant of God, to be recognized by God, to have our life as an act of worship of God himself. God rewards us with treasure from heaven when our heart is set on God's things for His purposes and for His 
recognition. Jesus alludes to this again over in Matthew 13, 44, a parable he tells. The parable is two sentences long. So I'm going to read the whole parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and he buys that field. Man is walking across his neighbor's field. He stumbles upon upon a treasure in his neighbor's field that is of untold value. His name was Jed. I think he was out shooting. He found an oil well, something like that. He had no idea that was in the Bible. There you go. So he doesn't tell anybody about the treasure. We don't know anything about the field other than this. We know that in order to purchase that field, he had to sell everything he owned. It said he... The man, uh, in his joy, sold all that he had and bought the field. Why was he joyful to sell everything and buy the field? Was it because he was pious? He was religious? He was over the moon be, uh, in, into God, and so he just decides to take a vow of poverty of some kind? No, like any good transaction, he says, I'm going to take what my current assets are and convert them into a greater asset. So he sells all of his stuff. He's not telling anybody why. What are all his neighbors saying to him? What is up with the lame What are you going to do? I'm going to sell all my stuff and buy that field. Why are you buying that field? It's not for sale, so you're going to have to pay a premium. And if anybody would have thought there was any value there, genius, they would have bought it already. What do you know? And what do you say? Well, you can't say anything. If he says anything, they're going to buy it. Buys the field, retrieves the treasure, and what does everybody say then? Oh, this was a smart guy. What would happen today? The neighbor would sue him. (laughs) So this is what Jesus is saying treasure in the kingdom of God is like. See, sometimes we get this all screwy in our head. We think, oh, I've got to be very religious, and I've got to be very pious. Then, No, what he is saying is, I want you to be a very shrewd investor of your time and resource. I want you to look and achieve in your life, by the grace of God, the greatest value. And there is no value in this world that will ever exceed any value we receive in the next. So the argument here from Christ is not to make our life some kind of religious example of um, Christian poverty. He's saying, I just want you to have the greatest reward because I want you to seek the best treasure. Treasure in heaven will exceed the value of anything that we have or know of here. All right, another uh, passage I want to look at is 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. Now, I would normally say Jeff alluded to this last night in his message, but none of you were in Brookings. Uh, So I'm going to steal most of his material just for a minute. I'm just going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the first three verses to start out with. This is what Paul says. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God... Just very quickly, tent here is referring to our physical body. We know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house, excuse me, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. In this tent, this current tent, we groan, longing to be put into our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, by putting it on, we may not be found naked. While we're still in this tent, though, we groan, being burdened. Is anything about this current life often worthy of groaning? 
Yes, the older you get, there's more groaning. There's more creaks, aches, pains, snaps, pops. There are things popping. You get out of bed and say, what's happened? Somebody pour some cereal, snap, crackle, pop. I'm just trying to get out of bed. And what Jesus is saying here is this life, this life is faulty. It's faltering. It's temporary. It's not easy. And in fact, what he wants us to do is to take what this life is, this life of groaning in many ways, and convert it into something better. Verse 6, we are always of good courage. He's not saying the groaning goes away. He's not saying good Christians don't groan. That's not what he's saying. He's saying in the midst of the difficulty of this temporary tent, we are of what? Good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. But whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Christ. We must appear, verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There will be a day we get to have a conversation with Christ by his grace. Don't dread it more than you ought. He is saying, though, let's take a look at our life. And a very brief way of saying this, did you seek treasure here or did we seek treasure in that moment? Did we seek to have a reckoning before our death or Jesus, as Paul is saying uh, here, why not seek to have a better reckoning after our death, after we leave this tent? Another way the Bible says it back in Proverbs is this, in Proverbs, excuse me, 16, 6, steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity, is, I'm having trouble reading today. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. By the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. So what we're saying is we think, okay, we've got a day coming, we get to stand before the Lord. I want to receive an, an eternal treasure. I would like my rewards to be there, not here. I know that day is coming, and I'm going to allow that, that day to move my heart to say, as I'm making decisions in the day in and day out of this life, do I want all of my return here? Do I want my reward on this earth? Is that enough for me? Or do I want to seek a better treasure? And what Jesus is calling us to do here in Matthew 6 is this. Seek the best treasure. All right, a couple more verses, and then we're going to move on to the second uh, part of this. Uh, James 5.1. James 5.1 says this. Uh, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the misery that are coming upon you. That's terrible. Thank you for that. I didn't write it. just reading it. He said, well, how do I know if I'm rich? If you call the United States your home, there you are. You're rich. Well, but there are other people richer than me. But there's more poor. Just leave it at that. You want me to move on? Okay. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you. And they're going to eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. So what he's doing is using figurative language, and he's describing our current treasure as to what it will look like in that day. What he does, you see how he does it? He uses the present tense language, and he describes our current treasure based on what it will look like one day. He says, listen, it's going to rot. It's going to be moth-eaten. It sounds like this guy might have talked to Jesus once. 
Doesn't it? It's similar language. He says all that stuff is going to corrode and go away. Consider that now. And here's the great travesty, he says. Not merely that you have laid up treasure. You have laid up treasure and it's almost home. You're almost home. Like he says, it's the last days and you're laying up treasure. This doesn't make any sense. What's tougher is the more days that go by, this verse becomes all the more poignant. This was almost 2,000 years ago, and now to what do we say today? Do we store up treasure when it's, it's, it's tomorrow in many ways? It could be this afternoon. And what he is saying is there is something fundamentally different about heavenly treasure and earthly treasure, although I've used the, the statement here, just seek the better treasure. James helps us understand that treasure in heaven and treasure in earth aren't even morally equivalent. Treasure in heaven lasts forever, and treasure in heaven is primarily God himself. Whereas treasure here, first of all, it doesn't even last forever, and secondly, it primarily draws us away from God. I'm going to give you a moment to see if you're going to argue with me. You're a little bit. You say, no, no, no. No, I'm fine. Okay, that's the first sign it is, okay? Heavenly treasure is designed to illuminate not the treasure, but the one who gave it. Earthly treasure is designed to disappoint and to draw us away from the Creator, draw us away from God. They aren't morally equivalent. What we tend to do here is to value treasure here and at our peril, devalue God. You say, God is good, nice guy, I'm glad for salvation, but when it comes right down to it, dollar bills, yo. All the people who would get that joke are camping. A poet wrote that, I'm going to put it another time. Okay, he was a hip-hop artist. All right. I have one other rap reference, so you're going to be, just have to be ready for it. I'll give you a good intro so you know what's coming. Colossians 3.1. James says, the day is coming, judgment is coming, especially for those of us who are storing up treasure here in the last days. And here's what Paul says is the cure. If you have been raised with Christ, or since you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are, what? You've, you have it memorized. Above, where Christ is, seated at the hand of God. Since you've been raised by Christ, have your heart desire the things that are better, the things that are above, the things that are with Christ. He says this, set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Where is your life hidden? In Christ, with God, where is most of your life today? Not here. And he's saying, now set your heart. That means the passions and desires and motivations that move us to action, set that on those things where our life is. For you have died, your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That will be a good day. And we should set our heart now on that day, not just on the mere short term of this day. Regarding treasure, Jesus says this, seek the best treasure now. Choose the best treasure. 
to choose earthly treasure as the passion and motivation of our heart is not merely just to be materialistic or secular or whatever. It's to reject God in many ways. To the degree that our heart is set on this world, and we all do it, is also at the same time to reject God himself because he is our ultimate treasure in heaven and really our treasure is finally Christ. Okay, regarding treasure, number one, seek the best treasure. Number two, back to Matthew chapter 6, verses 21 and 23. Let me read 21, 22, and 23. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. All right, regarding treasure, verses 21 through 23, you treasure what you seek. Okay, so now he's defining what our treasure is. You treasure what you seek. The value of your treasure is determined by your desire of it. Whether or not something is treasure is not determined by what is valuable in the culture or society we live in. What we treasure is determined by what we desire. You say, well, no, gold has value because there's less of it, so therefore it has intrinsic value based on its rarity of occurrence. Not if you don't care if you have gold. Then it has no value. What if I decide I do like dryer lint just that much? It is soft. It also smells good. I don't see what the downside is. Now, obviously, if I go to the store and try to buy stuff with dryer lint, I haven't tried it. I'm going to give it a go. But what what has value is determined by what we want. What we treasure is what we seek. And what Jesus here is saying is treasure is not merely defined by the external. So what he does is what we like to do is, well, treasure is just people who are greedy and materialistic. They have lots of money and they don't have ethics. And anybody who has lots of money must not have ethics. That's kind of a tendency. And Jesus said, whoa, whoa, simmer down. Money is one thing, but there's a billion other ways a person can seek treasure that isn't Christ. Anything that our heart is set on, where we say, I want this, uh, it is now our treasure. It could be money, it could be security, it could be a home, it could be leisure, it could be recreation, it could be a relationship. It could be a relationship you desire or it could be a relationship you have. Anything that our heart treasures that is not God, anything we seek that is not God is our treasure. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Where is our life bound up in Christ? In heaven with Christ. And what Jesus is saying here, but what you treasure is where your heart is. So if you treasure a particular kind of family, if you treasure a particular kind of work or a particular income or a particular retirement or a particular leisure, particular kind of food, that's where your heart is. And Jesus is saying, if your heart isn't with me, you are seeking treasure that is lesser than. Look what he describes it as. The eye is the lamp of the body. What does he mean by that? What we look at shines into our soul and reveals what motivates our soul. So what he's doing here is he's using a figure of speech, and he's saying your eye reveals what your heart desires, what you're looking at, what you gaze upon, and not just merely in the physical world. You're driving past the car dealership, you see that nice truck you want. I mean, that's what somebody told me. It wasn't me. I want to make sure you don't think I 
Anyway, moving on. You look at it, and what it, the truck isn't evil. My eye isn't evil. My heart, who has decided if I had that, I would be happy. That reveals something going on about where my heart is. Now, my treasure is bound up in something that can bring me happiness. And what Jesus is saying, number one, it won't. And secondly, it reveals that you have allowed my, I've allowed my heart to not be informed by the light of glory, but by the light of lesser things. So our eye is the lamp of our body, and if our eye is healthy, that means if our heart is desiring valuable treasure, the things of God, the things of Christ, then our whole body will be full of light. Our whole person will be filled with the light of Christ. He says this, though, if your eye is bad, which means your desires of your heart are sideways, then you are going to be full of darkness And listen how sternly he says it. If then light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What does he mean by that? There's something worse than being blind. What is it? Being blind and not knowing it. This is what he's describing. A person has found what they think is the hope of the world. They have no idea they are full of darkness. Another way of putting it, nothing could be worse for this individual than to have nothing but upward success till the day they die because they may never know want and may never realize that they've been seeking darkness. Our eye reveals what our hearts desire and what our hearts desire determines whether or not we're seeking the things of this world which will not fill us with the kind of joy that God offers or when our eyes are informed by a heart that desires the things of God our, our heart and our life will be filled with the light of God. This is a little bit tricky for me to explain um, because, frankly, I want to be polite. We just don't buy it. We, so, and I've described it this way before, so it may be repetitious, but understand. What we are convinced of in American churchianity is, I meant that, we're convinced what the happiness is this, a, a good American life, hot dogs, apple pies, Chevrolet. And then we know that that can be a little, that can go sideways from time to time. Somebody will get sick or maybe we lose the job, got to get back on our feet, an investment will go bad on us or go on vacation, you get sick the whole time. Maybe have that happen. So what we then do is we grab this fairy dust, dust of Jesus juice. And it's like salad dressing on a, rant, on a chef's salad. I don't know why there's a chef's salad. Why don't you just make a sandwich? But anyway. So you put some Jesus on my otherwise fulfilling life, and that's just going to take me over the top, and that's it. I'm home. And, and Jesus goes, no, 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 you have no idea. There's two ways, light in me or darkness. I am not here to make your otherwise average life a little bit better with some religion. Jesus wants to blow the doors off of that. He is saying... The only way to find true joy and true light is in me and me alone, and I and your life are somewhere else. There is something else that is to captivate our hearts, and it can't be found here. And until we finally believe that and say, you know what, I am all in for what Christ needs to do in me to be used by Him here so that when I go there I can see true light, we're always going to be disappointed, both in our faith as well as this world. James has a couple of other things to say about this. James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Now, if you're married, you're going to want to answer this question. 
That's a fair question. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Again, whoever you're fighting with, imagine them. What's the answer? The answer is always them, right? Well, if they would finally figure out how right I am on this, I would be happy to compromise as soon as they know how much I'm doing for them. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Unqualified, this is what he says. It is your passions that are a war within you. You desire and you cannot have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you don't ask, and when you do ask, you ask just to spend it on your own passions. It goes something like this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Come home from work, sit down on the couch. You just need a break. So you need a few minutes to catch your breath, right? I'm not saying whether it's the husband or wife. This happened either side. And the other person, the spouse, hey, would you mind coming in and you know where this is going. You get up and do it, but it's all in how you get up. You want to make sure the remote hits the table at a certain velocity so they get the picture. Oh, I'll do it. Don't expect me to have a good attitude. So what got taken from me that I wanted in that moment? I wanted a few minutes to just decompress. What's a few minutes? I'll be done at bedtime. <laughs> You're laughing because you know what I'm talking about. This is real. This is stuff. And so what causes fights to quarrel with? My spouse who won't leave me alone. That's what's causing the fight. Oh, really? How about it's the fact that you thought you needed that? You had to have a few minutes to decompress? You were going to die without it. Well, I'd be happy to serve my wife, my husband, when I have a little more energy. Just need to do some self-care. Now, there's a place for taking care of yourself, but I thank the Lord. Jesus didn't wait till everything was dialed in before he decided to serve us on the cross. Disciples, I'm supposed to die tomorrow, but, you know, I'm just not feeling it. I think I ate a little something, the Passover meal. Who prepared the Peter? Really? Where'd you get this lamb? I'm going to put this off for a few weeks. I'm going to take care of myself. This is what causes fights and quarrels among us. We want and we can't have. Whoever is between me and what I want needs to get out of my way. And he describes that as being murderous. If you're in my way of getting what I want, whether it just be a few minutes to decompress, whether it's you spent the money, now I can't buy my thing, it's the tax man, Whoever's between me and what I want, I want them dead. That means whatever I want is God. And when I'm doing that, I know that's not Christ. Because when I have my heart filled with the desire for Christ, whoever's between me and Him, I will serve. That's what James is saying. What causes fights and quarrels among us when we're seeking our own treasure and people get in our way? He says this in chapter 1, verse 9, same book, James chapter 1. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Why does he say that? Why does he say to the poor brother he should boast in his exaltation? The fact is, and Jesus mentions this in the parable of the camel passing through the eye of the needle, the poor brother will have that happen less often. Those of us who have been blessed by God with a lot are going to be wrestling with this matter more often because there are going to be more opportunities for something to be between me and the Lord, something else I want to desire versus God himself. And, and James says, listen, you who have nothing, 
You should count yourself lucky because it's going to be very easy for you to pursue Christ. Do you know why? You've got no other options. Those of us who are blessed are going to be over and over again having to on purpose set aside that which is lovely for something that is even more lovely. You treasure what your heart seeks. Choosing earthly uh, treasures is rejecting God and pursuing Him here as something else. Last section. Look with me at the last uh, verse here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Say that aloud. You cannot serve God in money. Yeah, you don't believe it. One more. I'll say it with you. So I'll say it. You cannot serve God and money. Not possible. You get to either believe this verse or not. Regarding treasure, last point, you serve what you treasure. One UFC fighter, I can't pronounce his name, Kareen, Karine, who knows? C-O-R-I-N-E, none of you want to admit you watch UFC, okay. Um, he says this, do what you want, tomorrow might not be there. That is absolutely dialed in on the American dream. Do what you want, because you don't know what tomorrow holds. You serve what you treasure. Another British politician and blog writer said this, money gives power. I love knowing I'm in control of my life. We can mumble and we can groan, but oh man, that is absolutely true. Now, I know the Bible says it's not true, but in the core of our being as Americans, that is absolutely true. You can be religious and pray all you want, but dollar bills, yo. How do you get stuff done? Somebody's got to write a check. And Jesus is really saying what he's saying. Actually, no. You, no, we don't. He's not saying it's evil. It's not saying we shouldn't write checks. It's not saying we shouldn't raise money. What he is saying is that is not doing what we think it's doing. It is not in control to the way you think it is. And to the degree we think stuff controls other stuff, we're serving it, and it's not serving us. You serve what you treasure. The deception is this that we get to choose whether or not we are going to serve God or our stuff. We think, okay, I'm going to have a bunch of stuff. I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it. That's not an option, he's saying. You don't get to choose whether or not you will serve it. He says you get to choose whom you will serve. You're going to serve somebody. And he says you get to choose whether or not it's God or money. We think that what we desire serves us. That's the deception of stuff. He said, we think that, oh, I want that because I'm going to put it to good work. We have no idea how confused we are in that moment. We want that because we serve it, unless it's God. We think that what we desire, whether it be money, whether it be career, whether it be a relationship, whether it be time off, leisure, or power, we think that I can desire it, get it, and use it. And he is saying, again, you get to decide whether or not you buy what the Bible is saying. You don't get to decide if it serves you or the other way around. If you desire it, if you treasure it, who's serving? I am serving. To treasure something is to serve it. What you are chasing is not serving you, you are serving it. In fact, the Bible is saying this, what you pursue is your master. 
what you are pursuing, what you are treasuring, is what you have submitted to and say you are in control. It doesn't have to just be cash. It doesn't have to just be stuff. Like I said, it could be relationships, could be situations, power, influence. But you cannot have two masters. This is where a little voice in the back of your head is arguing with you. And he always starts his arguments with this. Are you ready? Now, did God really say... Now, quoting the Bible there, you're not going to want to cross-stitch that on your pillow, though. That's how Satan, Satan starts his arguments. No, it, no, that seems extreme. Uh, like I say, what are you saying? You don't get to choose which one you're serving. We are going to serve somebody, and in order to put treasure in its proper place, the only way to do that is to treasure God instead. The way in which treasure is properly put in its place is to treasure God instead. One last verse, and then we're going to close. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. This is what Paul says to Timothy. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. People have tried. What's the bumper sticker? You've seen it? Whoever dies with the most toys wins. If we have food and if we have clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich, who desires to be rich? All of us. Come on, just say it. It's going to be easier if you just admit it. Of course we do. We're Americans. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. The way in which you get a better idea of what needs to come next in your walk with life is to know what you're facing. You're facing great temptation with the uh, desire to have wealth. Because every message we're going to receive in the culture around us, from the advertising, from our education, everything else, is all of your things are fixed when you're rich. Google lottery winners and see what you might learn. Those who desire to be rich fall into great temptations, into snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Of course, we need to clarify, money is not evil. He's saying the treasuring of it to the exclusion of God is evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. I know these people, and you know them too. Walking with the Lord, and then the worst possible thing happened. What was it? They hit a home run. They killed it. And now they got everything they ever desired. You know those people? Do you know any of them? And where are they? Some of them are still walking with the Lord, but all of us know those who said, this is better. It's short term. Our eyes look our hearts are filled with desire, and we pursue. If I get blank, I will finally be happy. I will finally be fulfilled. I will finally not have to worry. I will finally be able to settle down. If I get blank, I will finally be able to, what? And I've just described slavery. We think we're describing empowerment. If I finally have X amount of dollars, this many rental houses, this spouse... My kids finally figure it out, not my kids, your kids. Then I'll finally, and I think I've just described what my freedom will look like. I have no idea in my blindness, I've described, have just described my slavery. 
Because I will serve someone. So what he's saying, well, do a better job describing your slavery. If I submit all things to Christ and have my life bound up in him, I will finally live in the joy of the Lord. What have I just described? Slavery and a good one. I can serve my true master. 50 Cent is the name of a poet. 50 Cent. you got to say it right. 50 Cent. He said this, get rich or die trying. I can't say it the way he did it. He made a lot more money saying it than I do as well. He says, get rich or die trying. And I would disagree with that in one sense, that it's a short-sighted view of things. Another way of thinking about it is, you know, we're going to die. And I don't want to depress you, but again, I mentioned this before, the mortality rate of this planet is unheard of. Somebody's got to get their head around this problem. Everybody's dying. So why not actually get rich? Why not actually have treasure that will last forever? Why not actually have a day when the field you invested, you live your whole life here, and all of your friends are looking at you, you are such an idiot. And one day you stand before the Lord, and the field you bought, the treasure is finally received, and everybody goes, oh, why wasn't I thinking? I chased after such silly things. Regarding treasure, we need our eyes and our hearts trained by the Word of God and by His Holy Spirit to see what true value is. That real value is found in God Himself. Having found God, we need nothing else. Finally, some of us think that the problem with God is is kind of a pain. He's very restrictive. There's a whole bunch of things He doesn't like us doing, and most of those things are the most entertaining things to do. But that's a deception. To reject God as our master is to take on the cruelest of masters, and that master is the desires of our own heart. And if you've lived longer than 20 minutes, you know that's true. But you need to hear from the Word of God. To reject God as master is to take on the worst possible taskmaster, the desires of our own heart. 